Well, good morning, everyone. Can I add to the welcome that Graham gave you at the beginning of the service, especially if you're visiting with us? It's good to see you here this morning. As we embark on this new series, monthly series, let's just pray for God's help, uh, that I will explain God's word clearly, and that all of us, both speaker and hearer alike, might put it into practice. So, will you join me in a moment's prayer? Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your living word. And for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word who became flesh. For your Spirit who takes your Word as the sword of the Spirit and applies it to our hearts and minds. So today, as we think of the challenge that we will consider, we pray that we may not be just those who hear your Word, but those wise builders who build on the rock and put it into practice. So help me, help each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you know what a chugger is. If you live in Edinburgh, you've almost certainly seen one. And almost certainly you've spoken to one. Because if you dodge one, there's usually another one lying in wait down the street. A chugger, for the uninformed, is a charity mugger. A person, usually a young person carrying a clipboard, wearing a t-shirt, bearing the logo of some charitable organization they want to persuade you to support. On many days, you'll encounter them on Princess Street. And their charitable and laudable aim is to get you to part with some of your money, preferably a monthly direct debit, to their particular cause. If you manage to spot them, as I usually do when I'm walking down Princess Street... You may manage to dodge them and run the gauntlet like a contestant on Gladiators. Or you may have to settle for five minutes to listen to their spiel and appeal. Today, I simply want to stop and make an appeal to you. You can dodge this at this point by either walking out or switching off. But I hope you'll give me your attention and time, which I have to warn you, may be nearer 25 minutes than 5 minutes. And at the end of this talk, I hope you're going to respond with a gift. Not of money, but of something far more. In the words of our monthly title, which we launched today, I hope you'll respond at the end of this by saying and singing, Take my life. You'll be relieved to know that I'm not making this appeal on my own behalf. No, it comes from a much higher authority, indeed from God himself. And this appeal is summarized in a statement from the New Testament, which we're going to focus on, written by someone who also received it from a higher authority, from a man named Paul, who was an apostle, someone sent by God with a message. So here's our focus this morning, very simply, very concisely. In a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, Romans 12, verse 1. This is what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the RSV it's translated, appeal to you. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. 
So let me try in as simple and compelling terms as if I were encountering you on Princess Street and trying to persuade you to respond to this appeal. Uh, let me focus really simply by saying three things, or focusing on three questions. Who, what, and why? All right? Everyone from the youngest to the oldest should understand this. All right? Who, what, why? First of all, who? Who is this appeal aimed at? I've actually watched the Chuggers on Princess Street, and I'm not sure, I think there's one or two in the church who have done this in the past, I'm going to ask them afterwards, but uh, I'm not sure when you get the training for this, whether they, whether they train you to spot the most likely people it's worth accosting and, and, and trying to get to respond. But my observation is, their approach is pretty indiscriminate, and I'm pretty sure that whoever you are, they'll be happy to accept your money. But Paul's appeal in Romans 12 verse 1 is not indiscriminate. In the great city of Rome to which he writes, the center of the universe of his day, it is addressed in fact to one small group of people who are resident in that city. Whom he describes in his appeal as brothers. See that? I appeal to you, brothers. Brothers are those like Paul and these Christians in Rome to whom he's writing, who have been brought into God's family through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in many ways, brothers is just shorthand for Christians, members of God's family. Now, let me just say something in passing. The term brothers does not mean exclusively male. The term is inclusively female. The privileges of status that were once restricted to men and male heirs are now extended to women. In another of his letters to the Christians in the Roman province of Galatia, Paul writes that all Christians are privileged people. Galatians 3.26 You are all, he says, sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So in New Testament terms, this is nothing to do with gender. You can be a female son and a female brother. You can get your head around that. And both male and female now, he says, are heirs of all God's promise. Promises. But as we will see, this appeal is directed, therefore, to both male and female, brothers and sisters, who share also these same responsibilities and obligations to whom this appeal is addressed. Now, can I just say, if you were here this morning and you are not a Christian, then you don't enjoy the privileges of being a brother and they are enormous and you are missing out. But you don't have the responsibilities and obligations that go with it. So this appeal in Romans 12.1 is addressed exclusively to Christians. If you are not a Christian, you can't respond to this appeal. And even if you could, it would not be acceptable to God. For our verse tells us the only acceptable offering is one that is holy and pleasing to God. That is, people who are holy, been set apart for God's service, and who in Christ are now pleasing to Him. And now we consider what exactly is expected of Christian brothers. And as you hear this, if you're not a Christian, you almost certainly would not want to respond to it. 
So secondly, let's turn from who the appeal is aimed at to what. What is the Christian being asked to give or do? It is not a sum of money or other material goods. It is not even an amount of time, days, hours, weeks or years. No, it is something far more radical and costly. Notice what the appeal is. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Notice two things here. First of all, the word bodies highlights that this appeal demands a response that is physical. Bodies. You see, in our churches, and certainly in our songs, we would be more likely to say or sing, give your heart, give your soul, give yourself, even in the words of our title, give your life. And and while all these are included, give your body emphasizes the fact that we live our lives in these physical bodies. We are not disembodied spirits. And when you become a Christian, you don't switch from the physical mode, as it were, into some kind of super spiritual mode. When you become a Christian, it means spiritual rebirth. Jesus said you need to be born again of the Spirit. God's Spirit comes to reside within your spirit. You receive a new nature, which produces a spiritual transformation that begins from within. But this transformation from within is worked out, it is expressed through your body. Which is now, in New Testament terms, described as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Writing to the Christians in Corinth, who knew all about using their bodies for the wrong purposes. The Apostle Paul urges them, he says, flee from sexual immorality and reminds them, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body, notice the terms, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own, you are bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. So back to our appeal, offering your body to God to be used for his glory, for uses that pleases him, notice what, how it links it, is spiritual worship. Spiritual worship is expressed through physical bodies. So worship is not restricted, as we often make it, to what we do when we come together on an occasion like this. You know, now we will have a time of worship. Listen, what you were doing when you had your breakfast was also a time of worship. Depending on what you're eating, but we won't go there. But Everything you do with your body as a Christian is meant to be spiritual worship. Now, this, when we meet together, there's a particular focus on worshipping God and focusing on Him. But all of our lives are spiritual worship. Wherever we go, whatever we do. And as we'll see God willing through our series, it is in our bodies, through our hands, our feet, our ears, our lips, as well as our heart and mind and soul, that we express our response to God's appeal. In the NIV application commentary on uh, the book of Romans, Douglas Moo writes, Paul deliberately uses the word body to describe what we are to offer to God. This word focuses on the embodied nature of our persons, reminding us that we are physical beings interacting with the material world. By using this word, the apostle emphasizes the degree to which our worship should involve even the prosaic parts of our life. Now, this is not an emphasis that you find in church very much these days. It is certainly... And I love modern songs, don't get me wrong, you all know that. I even started earlier in the last song before anybody else. But, um, 
But it's not an emphasis you find in modern songs very much, which tend to highlight and focus on our emotional response to God, important though that is. And so when I was looking for him to choose to sing before this, and you can tell me at the door if you can think of a better choice, I had to go back to the 19th century to a Scot, Horatius Bonar. What did we sing? Fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise, that my whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways, not for the lip of praise alone. And maybe you sang this without thinking about it, but so think now. Nor in the praising heart, I ask but for a life made up of praise in every part. Praise in the common things of life. It's going out and in. Praise in each duty and each deed, however small and mean. Fill every part of me with praise. Let all my being speak of thee and of thy love, O Lord, poor though I be and weak. So shall no part of day or night from sacredness be free, but all my life in every part be fellowship with thee. It's whole body worship. That is what he's asking for. So the appeal is physical, but notice also, it is also secondly, did you notice, sacrificial. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You see, in our Western culture, we've desensitized the word Sacrifice. So, for example, we serve an Olympic athlete. He made many sacrifices to achieve his ambition, devoting years of his life, spending hours in the gym and on the roads, sacrificing time with his family and friends. But in its original use, sacrifice always has a divine dimension. It is something offered to a deity by a human being in the hope of gaining divine favor or appeasing divine anger. Uh, and in the ancient world, and still today in many of the cultures, if you've lived there as I have, if you come from there, while such sacrifices can involve things like grain or oil or wine, much more often they are messier and bloodier, involving the slaughter of animals. I was tempted to put some images on the screen, but I thought it would take ten minutes of my sermon for the people who fainted to be taken out. And also the people at the door are going to object. But anyway, uh, when, when Paul wrote this letter, the popular religion in Rome, particularly among the, the macho military, was called Mithraism. It involved some pretty bloody sacrifices with a sacred bull. You don't really want to go there, and thankfully it's died out, as far as I'm aware. Now, now the Jewish religion, of course... Paul's background and the background of some of the Christians in Rome, uh, contained in the law of God given through Moses, prescribed the sacrifices in detail which were to be given by God's people in every circumstance. And they involved the ritual slaughter of animals ranging in size and expense, price and value, from pigeons to sheep, goats, bullocks, in order to cover the sin of the people, including that of the priests who offered them, so they might be forgiven and approach God. But now Paul is writing following the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Christian gospel, or good news, declares that this sacrificial system, along with the priests who administered it, is now abolished and superseded because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice for sin once for all. How did he come? In a body. What did he offer? His body. Nailed to a cross. 
Uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews, written to Christians from a Jewish background who were tempted and under pressure to go back to their old religion, reminds them, Hebrews 9.26, but now he, that is Christ, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, the Christian now no longer needs to bring a sacrifice. Just be thankful, friends. If we were under the old covenant, you'd be coming into Charlotte Chapel, not sticking money in the offering bag. You'd be maybe coming in with a goat or a pigeon in your hand to offer, and I'd be down, well, I don't even want to think about it, but, you know, we'd be offering sacrifices. The priests have finished, the sacrifices have finished, once for all. So, the Christian no longer needs to bring a sacrifice for sin. No, the appeal of Romans 12 verse 1 is, to Christians, don't bring a sacrifice, be a sacrifice. In his book on Romans, the gospel as it really is, Stuart Olliott writes, Instead of giving a sacrifice, be one. As surely as those animals were laid down without reserve, so put your bodies at God's disposal. Let the bodies which once served sin, serve him. So the appeal to the Christian is to be a sacrifice, but unlike the sacrifices that were brought into the old deal, the old covenant, the appeal to the Christian is also, don't be a dead sacrifice, be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, of course, is a contradiction in terms. But, but earlier in this letter to the Romans, Paul has explained what he means by this. He says to his fellow Christians, Romans 6:11, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign where? in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires yeah you've got a new nature but you've got a battle on your hands and your battle involves your body so he spells this out in practice look what he says in Romans 6.13 the next verse do not offer same word in Greek for present in Romans 12.1 do not offer the parts of your body as instruments of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness can you see what he's saying? I used to use my hands for the wrong purpose now I want to use them for God I used to use my feet and go there to the wrong places now I want to go where God leads me I used to use my eyes to watch and look at the wrong things, but now I want to direct my eyes to where God wants me to direct them. I used to listen to the wrong kind of things, and now I need my ears to be attuned to what God is saying. I used to love other things before, but now I want to live what God lives, with all my heart and mind and soul and strength. Friends, this is radical stuff. Oh, it's much easier to sing about airy-fairy, you know, something that's super spiritual this is practical Christian living and it is an ongoing process I cannot emphasize how radical and costly this appeal is for each one of us who claims to be a follower of Jesus so that raises the final question if you're with me which is why why on earth would I want to offer my body to someone to God as a living sacrifice. This is a bit steep, isn't it? I mean, you know, give me a fiver a month and I'll settle for that. Or, okay, let's up it a bit, 20 pound a month. But, or an hour a week. Or, okay, I come Sunday mornings. I'll start coming Sunday evenings. Surely that'll be enough. No, it isn't. Offer your bodies living sacrifices. Why? 
Paul tells us in our verse. Look again at what our verse says. The reason for our sacrifice. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Therefore assumes what has gone before. If I came up to you after church and said, Therefore give me five pounds, you would wonder what the therefore was there for. But if I said to you, Remember I gave you my wallet to look after, therefore give me five pounds, I need to pay the bookstall for my magazine subscription, which I've actually paid, but anyway, stay with the illustration. You would hopefully understand and give it to me. Now when Paul says at the start of chapter 12, and remember there are no original chapter divisions when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't say, and now chapter 12, there are no verses, it's just one letter, right? He says, therefore, in view of everything I've said up to this point in my letter... And what is said in this letter, up to chapter 12 in our divisions, is chapters 1 to 11, his appeal is based before on what God has done for them. And and he, he summarizes it, therefore, in view of God's mercy, the original Greek is plural, in view of God's mercies, plural. He says, in view of all the way that God has shown you his mercy... He says, God, you need to read Romans 1 to 11. It's the most amazing book and description of God's mercy. He says, think of all that God did for you. He didn't give us what we deserved. He showed us mercy. He demonstrated his grace to us. He didn't give us the death penalty. We deserve the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6, 23. He gave us new life. He gave us new hope. And so in chapter 8 of his letter, after describing, he says, God has predestined us, he's called us, he's chosen us, he's justified us, he's glorified us. And he exclaims, what then should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, gave him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So he says, what should we say? Praise the Lord. Thank you. What should we do? Chapter 12. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now it makes sense. It is the only reasonable response to what God has done for us. In fact, if you go back to the verse again, uh, the word translated spiritual worship there can also be translated reasonable worship. It's a Greek word, logikos, from which we derive logical in the Tyndale New Testament commentary in Romans, F.F. Bruce, great Scottish scholar, writes, the service of obedient lives is the only reasonable or logical response to the grace of God. Now can you see why it only makes sense if you're a Christian? Because if you've not experienced all God's blessings and know what, how wonderful it is, you'll be saying, hey, that's too much to ask. If you're a Christian, you're saying, what more can I give? It's, it's absolutely reasonable, logical, Lord, take my body. You're motivated by mercy. If you are not a Christian, this appeal to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice will probably fall on deaf ears and cold hearts. Charles Thomas Studd, C.T. Studd, born in 1860, one of the outstanding cricketers of his day. He was the kind of the Andrew Flintoff of his day. He gave away all his wealth, he abandoned fame and fortune to be a missionary. Everyone in in Britain was just totally amazed by this rich aristocrat doing this, this fantastic sportsman, this incredibly wealthy guy. 
You can imagine what the media would have made of it today in the tabloids. And everybody wanted to know, why have you done this? Here's what Stud said. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Very telling words, aren't they? Jesus Christ be God and died for me. No sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Well, that's the appeal. Nearly through. Stay with me. What's your response? Look at it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, is our conclusion. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, let me just speak to those here this morning who are not yet Christians. This may be the clincher for you. You may be saying, boy, if that's what's involved in it, forget it. I'm off the hook here. I'm glad I don't have to make such a sacrifice. I'm going to go and living my life my, the way I please. I'm going to use my body for the purposes I want. But I have to warn you, the only alternative to serving God is slavery to sin. You're not free at all. In fact, you're not free to give your body because you don't own it. Sin is your master. And your destiny is destruction, says the Bible. It's not a good choice at all. If you are a Christian, you can dodge this commitment. It doesn't automatically happen. When you become a Christian, suddenly you switch into zombie mood. You know, like those zombies, and you just do exactly what God tells you, you know. You know. No. Once you become a Christian, you have a choice. That's why Paul says to these Christians, I'm appealing to you. It's a strong word. I'm, I'm urging you to do this. You see, you've been, if you're a Christian, you've been set free from the slavery to sin to serve God. But you can choose to go back to offer your bodies as instruments of wickedness. That's why Paul writes it. It's possible to get out the prison door and to choose to go back in. And some of us as Christians are right there. Oh, we made the commitment, but now we're using our bodies for wrong purposes. You, know, you end up in slavery again to sin. The slavery of your own choosing. You see, this is a daily battle. This is a choice you make every day of the week. In every way you use your body, it's actually present tense. I urge you, I appeal to you, I'm going on urging you to go on offering your bodies as living sacrifices to God. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is practical, real Christian living. Maybe this morning you need, as a Christian, if you are a Christian, many of us claim to be Christians, you need to ask yourself, is your body at God's disposal? Are you living holy for God? Are you prepared at the end of this service to say and sing, take my life? And really mean it. You see, you can make a fresh start here. And it's a daily battle. That's why Paul says, I die daily. Keep on fighting this battle. We will, never we will never stop this battle till the end of this life and then we'll be released. We'll have resurrection bodies. And the battle will be over. But until then, you've got to fight. You've got to die daily, put to death. Tough call. But with God's grace and help, it's an 
it's possible and it's glorious so let me conclude with some words you may have heard before wise words from a young man who who literally gave his body he was speared to death his body dumped in a river in Ecuador by a tribe of people he was trying to share Jesus with after his death people found his journal and these were the words that his name was Jim Elliot with four friends he died this is what he'd written and they were written in his journal the words and the words said this he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose just reflect on that a moment he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose if you look at the newspapers for when these young men died splashed across the headlines what a waste of life no said Jim Elliot and says every Christian he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose so here's the challenge take my life stops you in the street in Charlotte Chapel this morning what's your response let's pray together